The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Let's go to the time in the Word. If you would, open up your Bible to James chapter 4. If you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, James 4 is where we're going to be. There are hardback black Bibles under every single chair. You can open those up to James chapter 4. You can open a phone or a tablet to James 4. If you're online with us, you can click the Bible tab to get you to James 4. We don't put verses on screens here at Fathom, so I'd love for you to open up the text and follow along with us. We're going to finish James chapter 4 today. Um, and, and so as we, as we get into James 4, I, I want to ask you a question. How do you know God's will? H- how do you know what God wants you to do in any given circumstance? How, I mean, essentially, how, how, do you, how do you make plans for your life that are going to honor God's will for your life? This is what James is going to talk about today. James is going to show us that, that uh, as we've seen in the, in the book of James, genuine faith does a lot of things. Genuine faith uh, it produces doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Genuine faith produces people that are, that are not showing partiality to the rich as opposed to the poor. Genuine faith shows up in people who are uh, doing mercy, who are loving justice, who are caring for widows and orphans, who actually do the angel tree sort of thing. But genuine faith today, we're going to see, shows up in those who who submit to God's will. But the question at hand is, how do I know? Like, if you're a Christian in here, I'm assuming you want to do God's will. But how do you know what his will is for you? So remember a few weeks ago, I told a story about a youth mission trip that I led at one point to Mexico, uh, where there was a middle school girl who came on this trip, and she became convinced that it was God's will for her to save and rescue all of the homeless Mexican cats. She was convinced of it. This is what God's will is for me. And I quickly retorted, no, it is not God's will for you. We are not bringing those gatos back to the United States. Like that was... My response. So the question is, how does she know? How does she know it's God's will for her? On the other hand, how do I know it's not God's will for her other than cats being demonic? Okay. (laughs) I want us to do a little theology as we jump into this because the theology behind this idea is going to set us up as we get into our text today. So when I say we're going to do some theology, theology is a word that legitimately only means uh, the study of God. That's what theology is. It's the study of God and probably the most common classification used when discussing God or the attributes of who God is um, are God's what, what are called communicable attributes and God's incommunicable attributes. Now, I know those are big words, okay? Big churchy words, theological words, incommunicable, okay? Drop that at a Thanksgiving. It'll blow some people's minds, all right? But And, and listen, a lot of church, church growth experts will say, hey, in your preaching, just kind of dumb down the language because you don't want people to be confused and like not get it. But if you can handle like a skinny decaf, half calf, you know, caramel macchiato with extra whip on top, like if you can handle that, I think you can handle a little theology, okay? Incommunicable attributes of God, okay? So, so let's, let's talk about these two categories. The communicable attributes of God's are attributes that God shares in part with us, his creation, So communicable attributes are attributes like love. God loves us and you can love one another. 
It's a shared attribute. Okay, love is an attribute. Mercy is a communicable attribute. Justice is a community. You can do justice and God does justice. These are shared attributes with us, but incommunicable attributes of God are things that are unique to him alone. He does not share them with his creation. And there are three, uh, there's a lot of incommunicable attributes of God, but there are three kind of big ones that you may be familiar with. And they're sometimes known as the three omnis. The three omnis. Omni in Latin means all. And so the three omnis are omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. The three omnis. These are incommunicable attributes of God. And those three things. Omnipotence means all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Omniscience means that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And omnipresence is that God is present everywhere, always. Those are the three omnis, and these are incommunicable attributes of God. And listen, they are widely agreed upon in most theological circles. They are widely agreed upon. Calvinists and Arminians both believe in these. Okay, Baptists and Presbyterians agree on these things. They are widely agreed upon, and these are incommunicable. They are God's attributes, not ours. I said all of that for a reason. Let's turn to our text, okay? James chapter 4, we're going to start and read verses 13 and 14. Follow along with me. This is James. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Okay. This is James hitting on all three of those omnis that we just talked about and kind of throwing them on their head when he's talking about you, okay? He's essentially saying this. It's my first point this morning. You are not God. You, does anybody need me to say this again? I just, okay, just in case you need you didn't hear it. You, Don, are not God. Okay, Justin, you're not God either. That beard is God-like, but it's not, <laughs> right? You are not God. I don't think there's anybody in this room this morning who who would disagree with that point. But James is going to argue that we often live like we are. That we often evidence in our behavior, in our lives, that we really think we're in control of a lot more than we truly are in control of. James is, and this is what he said. He said, to those who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go there or here or there, that town or this town, We're going to make some money. We're going to do some business. And then he says these words, you do not know. (laughs) You don't know. Translation, you are not omniscient. You're not, right? You're not all-knowing. You are not omnipotent. You're not all-powerful, right? You're not, I mean, literally, you are currently stuck right now, here. You're not living in tomorrow, You're not even living later today. 
You are confined to one specific time and place. And listen, even if you somehow do kind of get a good sense of what tomorrow will bring, like you can prognosticate correctly the future, like what's going to happen tomorrow. He says, what is your life? What is your life? You're a mist. You're not omnipotent. You're not omniscient. You're not omnipresent. And James is saying that we functionally, we functionally trust in our own plans for our own lives, acting as though we were God. That's what he's saying. We've all got plans for our lives. You've got plans for your life. You've got plans for later today. What are you going to eat for lunch? What are you going to watch on TV? What are you going to do on Thursday? You're going to fry a turkey? You're going to bake a turkey? You're going to smoke a turkey? You're going to be like my father-in-law and eat a ham? What? <laughs> Heresy, my friend. <laughs> Listen, I'm just really playing today with y'all, okay? I've mentioned a beard. I've mentioned dawn. This is a good day. This is a good day. This is the day the Lord has made, okay? Is your trust in your plan or is your trust in the person of Jesus? This is where he's starting. See, many times we, we think that our strategies are more sufficient than our Savior, We think our strategy, our plan is more sufficient, is more acceptable, is actually wiser than some of the things that God is doing in our lives. And we evidence that in how we talk and how we live. But James starts by saying, you're not God. And we need to be reminded of that every day. You are not God. So in college, when I was in college, I lived with a guy uh, who was kind of a super type A planner. If you know me, I'm kind of, I'm type A, right? This guy took it to the next level, all right? So in college, uh, when I was there uh, at CCU, Apple laptops were just kind of becoming the standard. Macintosh was just kind of pushing PC out of the market at that point. And thus, the, the, the app iCalendar was kind of the big thing. Like everybody had an iCal and we're figuring out how to kind of use this thing. Well, my, my roommate, type A, kind of driven dude, he got really hyped on the iCal, like just unhealthily so, okay? He started putting his classes in the app, which that makes sense. Like, he, okay, eight o'clock, I got Bible. Okay, put it in there, right? Filling in those colored bubbles. Then he added his social events. Like he added some social events, like dates with girls. If he ever had any, he put it in there, right? Put his workouts. Like when he'd go to the gym, he played sports. So he put his sports schedule in there. Then he got a little weird. Added his meals into his iCal, right? A little bubble at 7.30 for breakfast before that 8 a.m. class, all right? Then he got his, his discipline schedule, his you know, Bible reading. He'd schedule that in there. Prayer time, he'd schedule that in iCal, a little colored bubble. Then he got to the point, I, I, I mean, I wish I had a picture of it to show you, but he got to a point where he literally scheduled a five-minute bubble twice a day for showering on his iCal. He had a two-minute bubble for brushing his teeth, He literally had a 30-second colored bubble for flossing every night on his iCal because he didn't want to see any blank space. He scheduled his sleep in there. Listen, if if you pull up Google Calendar or iCal right now and you've got in there a time for flossing, it's time to loosen up your schedule. It's time to loosen it up a little bit. Uh, And James is essentially saying, you have no idea about what tomorrow is going to bring. You can iCal your life to death and you still don't know. Let me quote the great, uh, the great prophet, Mike Tyson. 
This is what Mike says. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I I would try a Mike Tyson impersonation, but I'm not gonna. (laughs) But it's true. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You can plan it all out, every single little detail, but you don't know everything. Okay, you can't be everywhere. And you're not powerful enough to control really anything, even if you could figure it out. I mean, he calls, James uses the word mist. He calls you a mist. What is your life? You are a mist. What's that like? I'll show you. This is not mine. This belongs to my daughter, Harper, okay? I don't have a pink spray bottle, all right? James says, you are a mist. That's you. It's high self-esteem right here, right? Like, that's what James just called you. Well, I've got a plan for my life. That's your plan. Where'd it go? Well, I work out. That's it. There's your glutes. Gone. Well, 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 I CrossFit. It's not a workout, it's a lifestyle. Hmm. Bench that, bro. Okay. What you eat clean, you take vitamins, you're gonna live to like 120. Hmm. There you go. That's your vitamins. He's saying, what's your life? It's a mist, it's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You are not God. So then, if that truth, if that's true, if that's established, if that's foundational, then how do we plan? How do we know what God's will is for our midst of a life? Well, James has some real practical advice. And the rest of this is going to be uber practical uber practical. I hope this helps you. Look at verse 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So question, is it a problem to have a plan? No. Is it sinful to have a schedule? Certainly not. There's plenty of places I can point you to in the scriptures that talk about the wisdom involved in creating a plan. But James is saying there's a difference between being a planner and being proud. There's a difference between having a plan and being prideful about your plan. James calls it boasting in your arrogance. And then he says, that's evil. He's not like that's neutral. Your type A kind of arrogance is not neutral. It's evil. I mean, just think about these last two years. Anybody plan for this thing? No? Anybody see this thing coming? You go to your 2020 New Year's resolutions in your journal. Anybody write down, hey, global pandemic coming up quick. Better stock up on toilet paper. (laughs) Some of you are planners and you weren't prepared for that one, right? Cancel that cruise, buy stock in Zoom, right? Order that new dishwasher six months early because they ain't getting one of them off the ship anytime soon, right? 
Nobody planned for this. No, we had no idea. And, and James is saying, listen, when you plan, he gives like a category of when you plan. Notice he doesn't say that we never plan. He doesn't say don't ever plan. That's not what he says. He says when you plan. He's not giving us permission to just do whatever and to just go with the flow and to just kind of come what may. That's not, this is not the go-to verse as to why you are disorganized and never make commitments. Don't use this like that. James isn't against planning, but he's saying when you plan, he says, you got to submit to God's will. You're not God, so submit to God's will. And he uses this little phrase, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll go to this town or that town. If the Lord wills. Now, this, listen to me, this is not meant to be a Christian cliche. All right? You know these creepy Christians who've made this thing into a cliche? Please tell me it's not just me who's been genuinely offended by somebody who says this. Lord willing. You've ever heard this? You know somebody like this? Hey, you want to go to the movies tomorrow? Man, Lord willing. Uh, How about we just go? Like it's some sort of holy code that we must insert into our prayer in order to make it like, Lord willing, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, Lord willing, we'll do that. You're at dinner, sitting at dinner. Hey, can you pass me the butter? Lord willing. (laughs) Well, Lord willing, I don't punch you in the face, you know? Lord willing, if if he wills it. I sometimes will ask, like you or other people like this, I'll I'll ask you this question. Hey, am I going to see you at church on Sunday? Oh, Lord willing. You think the Lord wills you to be somewhere else right now? (laughs) Where else would the Lord will you to be on Sunday morning? Get you to church, people. This text, listen, it's not meant to be a command to add this cliche over top of all of your prayers. It's not meant to be a cliche. It's meant to be a conviction. If the Lord wills should be a state of mind for your life. Not just a little sprinkle on top of your prayer. James' point is that our future plans should be fueled by this knowledge that you're not God and a robust submission to his will. If the Lord wills should be your motto for every plan you put into place. Well, you ask, how do I know God's specific will for my life? Because I want, I agree with you, Chris. I agree. I'm not God. I agree. I should submit to his will. But how do I know it? How do I figure this out? And I get this question more than I get any question in pastoral ministry. How do I know God's will? Where should I go to college? What should I major in? What should I do after graduation? I'm applying for jobs. Which one should I take? Okay, who should I get married to? Should I even get married at all? This guy's kind of weird. Should we have kids? How many should we have? Should we send them to public, private, or homeschool? What church should we go to? What church should we be a part of, okay? How much money should we save for retirement? Should we retire? When should we retire? Once we retire, what should we do in retirement? What's God's will for me? What's his will? I want to give us a real practical way to help when it comes to the plans 
that you're trying to discern God's will for. And I call it a discernment process. I'm sure there's a more clever way to frame it, but this is a process of discernment. It's how you discern God's will. And I want to give us three grids to run potential plans through. Three grids that you will run your, your, your plan or your idea about what God's will is through and help you to discern whether that's God's will or not. Okay, so, so follow along here. The first is this. The first grid is this, God's word. It shouldn't be a shocker to you. You're holding the book, right? Shouldn't be a shocker that the pastor's telling you should, should probably look at the Bible. What does God's word say about this thing? Now, in life, there's going to be, for most questions of God's will, there's going to be a spectrum of faithful options for you to choose from. Like a spectrum of that could be God's will, or that could be God's will, or this could be God's will. There's a spectrum of faithful options, okay? But before we even get to those, there is a spectrum of unfaithful options for your life that go against the revealed word of God. So is your plan in line with God's word? And this may seem like a no-brainer, right? Like, hey, don't do things that God says don't do in his word. But how many Christian marriages end for unbiblical reasons? How many Christians in business fail to practice ethical standards? How many Christians are giving up on the biblical sexual ethic because it just seems like it's a bit old school in our cultural moment? I mean, how many Christians, how many churches even have jettisoned God's word as their go-to source of authority? It's my way. It's not God's way. I mean, we'd never say that. We just live that, right? Church, if you're attempting to discern God's will for an area in your life, the first place you need to dig into is the word of God. Here's a real quick, real quick solution for you. God will never guide you to do something outside what his word permits. Well, pastor, you don't know my circumstance. God will never lead you to do something that is outside of what his will permits. But you don't even understand like, how miserable I am. God will never lead you to do something that is outside of what his word permits. God's word is the primary way he communicates to us. And this is why we must put such a high value on the authority of the scriptures. We want all things to be discerned through God's word. That's the first grid. Now it gets a little trickier. Grid number two is this, God's wisdom. Start with God's word, you move to God's wisdom. And here's where we come back to the spectrum of faithful options. You have a spectrum of faithful options. That means that there's not always going to be a clear cut, this is sin and this is not sin in making and discerning God's will. This is God's will. Yes, this is not God's will. No, it's not always going to be crystal clear. And in those moments, we need wisdom. We call them wisdom issues. They're not clear cut in the scriptures. And so we have to use discernment and wisdom. So I know a guy at another church, different church. This is a true story, completely true story. Um, And this guy had a gambling addiction. 
He was addicted to gambling, uh, but he had been through a full recovery process and considered himself a recovered gambler, okay? So he was a recovered addict in this gambling way. Uh, And the church that he was attending, this other church, uh, he made a proposal to the elders of that church after his recovery, and he said, hey, I really feel that God's calling me uh, to start a ministry to gamblers, Like, he's rescued me from this. I want to start a ministry to gamblers. And the elders of the church were like, yeah, that'd be be great. You you could probably speak to them in a way. You understand where they're at. That sounds like a great idea. What's your plan? What's your plan to minister to gamblers? And no joke, this is what he went on to present to them. The church would give him money, and then he would go up to Blackhawk, Colorado, and he would gamble with the church's money, And as he gambled, he would share the gospel with the other people who were at the tables with him. That was his plan. Not a joke. That was his plan. Well, the elders are smart enough not to to just give this guy money, not to go along with this, right? And their response was, no, listen, God is not calling you to start that ministry. He's not because it would put him outside of the Bible's parameters for wisdom. So question, is gambling wrong? Not always. Not always. Can't point you to the verse. But in this guy's case, it would have been very unwise for him to pursue it. Have you sought out God's wisdom? James said in James chapter one that that God will give you wisdom if you ask. Like if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask and God will give it. So I would say you need to take time when asking these questions, when making these plans. You need time for prayer. You need time in the word. You need time asking God for wisdom. Okay, this takes adequate time. Sometimes we fail to engage God's wisdom because we move too fast. We just want to make a decision. We just want to get going. So we'll make a plan. Like we'll make the plan and then we'll ask God to bless our plan. Right? Here's my plan, God. Bless it, please. But the wise person seeks God in the making of the plan. Not just in the blessing of their plan. So those are the first two, God's word, God's wisdom. And number three, what do God's people say about your plan? Now, this is the one that we kind of bristle at because it's, it's someone else with, that you grant some authority to to help you discern God's wisdom. And we don't like other people having authority over us. We don't like to submit to other people. But I think it's really wise we call this in, in, in Christian circles, seeking wise counsel. It's closely associated with God's wisdom, but it's God's people, mature Christians to speak into your situation, to help you discern God's wisdom. You need wise counsel. This is all over the Proverbs. Okay, let me just read these three verses. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Ever felt that way? Seems right to me. But the Bible just called you a fool. That's not good. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This is all through the scriptures, okay? 
We need God's people because, listen, we've got blind spots in our lives. We've got areas that we, we don't have good sight on our own selves, and we can't see potential pitfalls or potential unwise moves. The illustration that comes uh, straight to mind is American Idol. Okay, American Idol, back when Simon was still on American Idol. Remember when it was good? Remember this? Okay, it was kind of good, all right? It was, it was the first few weeks of the auditions. That's the best part of the show, right? The first few weeks when utterly terrible, terrible singers would get up there and humiliate themselves. And then Simon would just shred them, right? You remember William Hung? She bangs, she bangs. You, yeah, you remember that. Yeah, that was painful. And yet it's like six billion views on YouTube. Poor guy. That's what he's known for. That's the only reason why we watch the show, by the way. But, but those moments, they actually reveal something so much more important. Like, wasn't it always a little bit shocking and sad when Simon would say to that person, hasn't anyone ever told you that you're a terrible singer? And they're like, no. No, everybody, mama said I was great. Everybody has always encouraged me to take up singing. Didn't anybody love these people enough to tell them that they weren't gifted as a singer before they embarrassed themselves on national TV? Or maybe were they too caught up in their own dreams to hear the truth? Listen, I know the self-esteem movement has, has kind of told you that, no, that you can do whatever you set your mind to. Like you just do whatever you want to do, but just you can be who you want to be. That's what I was fed as a kid. Just, you can do it. Nike, right? Unfortunately, it's just not true. If mama told you that, mama lied. You can't do anything, okay? There are many things that you are simply not gifted to and should never try. You're just not good at those. You don't have to be good at everything. Hey, take a moment to take a deep breath and realize that you don't have to rock at everything. That should free you, especially from the thing that you're trying to rock at that you suck at. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for saying that in my sermon. The elders are going to bash me. No, that's not true. You're like, well... I know I don't have any blind spots. I definitely don't have any blind spots. I took the Enneagram. All right, I'm in counseling. I'm very self-aware of my, my own. I, I know I don't have any blind spots. Listen, great, great. Glad you're in therapy. Glad, you're, glad you took the Enneagram, okay? We, but listen, we all have blind spots. If you think you don't have a blind spot, that, a blind spot that only proves that you do, hear me, because you're blind to it. It wouldn't be called one if you knew it existed. You're blind to it. That's why you got to run your, your plans and your ideas for what God's will is through some sort of discernment process. What does God wor God's word say? What does the wisdom of God lead you towards? And what are God's people saying about this decision? James is saying you're not God. So submit to his will. Submit to his will. How do you figure it out? You discern his will. He's not opposed to a plan. He's opposed to the proud. Now this is, 
really important, and, and you might see that there's another verse in this chapter that doesn't feel like it fits right off the surface, but I think it really does. So the last verse, verse 17, James 4:17. let's look at this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. You ever heard that verse ripped out of context? I've done it. Man, I should really do that. This must be sin. Actually, more, more often than not, what I do is I think if anybody knows what somebody else should do and they don't do it, that person is in sin. That's normally how you rip that verse out of context. But in context, James is ending this section about discerning God's will, and I think it fits because so many well-meaning Christians think there's only one category of sin. They think there's only one category of sin, and that category is the sins of commission, Sins of commission are sins that take action to commit. I commit these sins. And we spend, in evangelical circles, we spend countless amount of energy and time and, 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 and wherewithal to just say, hey, don't do the wrong things. Don't do the wrong things. I want to stop doing the bad things. Keep me from the wrong things. Those are sins of commission, and they're very important. But I think in, in this verse, contextually, James is talking about sins of omission. There are sins of commission, and there are sins of omission. See, sins of omission are the things that you're supposed to do, but you're not doing them. They're not the bad things that you're doing. That's commission. But omission is the things that that God would want you to do that you're not doing. And that'll open up your sin closet a little bit. That'll just kind of needle at you if you let it. See, in some cases, we don't act on God's will. We don't do the things that God wants us to do because we're afraid. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the difficulty that it might bring into our lives. Fear of just plain failing. And this can lead us to be almost crippled by fear. But remember, you're not God. Right? You're not God. There are going to be times in your life where there is no obvious and clear direction that is clearly God's will. Even if you run it through a process of discernment, there will still be times where you'll get to the place where you're like, Choice A and choice B both seem like they could be God's will. What do I do? I don't want to make the wrong choice and screw up eternity. Mess up his sovereign will for my life if I pick A and it was really B. So what do I do with this? And her temptation is, I think in our culture, is to not make a choice. Our temptation when we don't see a clear way forward is inaction but I think James is calling us to make a decision. I think he's saying, make a call. If you know there's something you should do, but you're too afraid to make the decision, he calls it sin. Again, it's not neutral for you to be inactive in making a decision that you know God is calling you to, and there's an A and there's a B, and you're afraid of making the wrong choice. And James says, if you don't make a choice... That might be sinful. Sometimes, listen, sometimes you just got to make a call. You've acknowledged, you've acknowledged that, that you're not God. You have, you, you've acknowledged that you want to submit to God's will and you've started running it through the, the, the word of God, 
the wisdom of God, the people of God. You sought wise counsel and you're still like, I don't know, it's a 50-50. James is just saying, make the choice. Make a decision. Now hear me, you're not God and so you can't upset God's omnipotence, God's omniscience, and God's omnipresence by making the wrong choice. That's very prideful. It's prideful to have too much stock in your plan. It's also prideful to be afraid that you might somehow derail the entire workings of the universe. <laughs> Does that sound like pride? Because they're the same. Sin isn't just avoiding the bad stuff. Sin is failing to do the good stuff. Yeah, you can't fully know God's specific will for you. Should I go to that college or this college? Pick one. You've run it through the system? Pick one. See, you can't know God's specific will completely for yourself, and that can lead to the pride of over-planning and the pride of never-planning. They're both pride. You can't control the outcomes, but you can control your decisions. And to let the fear of making an incorrect decision cripple you from ever making a decision is the wrong decision. But we get wrapped up in this, y'all. So how do you know God's will for your life? First, you understand deeply that you're not God. Every day, confessing that I'm not God. Then you submit your plans to God's will, running it through that process, discerning what God's will is. And then finally you make a decision. You make a call, not being crippled by the unknowns of the future. So let me end with this. We are out of time. Uh, many people ask me, Chris, how do you know, how did you know that God, it was God's will for you to plant Fathom Church? Like, how did you know this? How did you know it was God's will for you to plant fathom? And that's a tricky question because I didn't have like a supreme dream, like some sort of like I woke up at three in the morning. I'm like, God, I got to plant a church, right? I didn't have that. I didn't have like a word from the, somebody, you ever hear something? I got a word from the Lord. I got to plant a church. I didn't get the word from the Lord on this one. All right. Um, but it was this process. So let me explain it to you. Uh, when I was in college, I found out about Acts 29, which is a church planting network that we're a part of, all right? And I became convinced that, that part of God's mission was for the church to multiply, to plant new churches. And I became infatuated with the idea of starting new churches as part of God's mission. And I told Marcy, we were dating in college. I said, hey, babe, one day I may want to plant a church. Like at some point, maybe I want to just take a blank sheet of paper and start something from scratch. And, and her response was, not if you marry me. <laughs> and so I married her. Um, but I just figured that, that over time, if God wanted me to plant a church, like he'd soften her heart on that. It wasn't my job to convince her. It was just like, okay, if it's God's will for me, it will be God's will for her. That's how this thing works. One flesh, all right? So we'll figure it out. So I just spent years praying over my desire to plant a church. And it would kind of crop up and then it would go away and I'd just keep praying. And all the while I'm worshiping with God's people in my local church. I'm serving, I'm learning. I go to seminary, I'm growing, I'm doing all these things. And after almost a decade, after about 10 years, I found myself working in another church, okay? I'm making a steady paycheck. My ministry was thriving. Marcy and I had just bought a house. Like we were trying to get pregnant. Like we were starting to be like, let's root 
Let's, let's dig some roots here. Things were on point in that moment. And right in the middle of that, the church planting bug came back. It's like I caught it. I didn't put my mask on quick enough and it jettisoned into my sinuses. And I just found myself with this desire again to plant a church. And so I talked to Marcy about it, thinking that she was gonna knock that thing down. We go back to live an awesome life. And she felt like the spirit had softened her towards the idea. So I was like, dang, (laughs) we better start praying. Like seriously discerning what God would have for us and as we started discerning, we, you know, we're pro-con people, we're type A people, so we did the pro-con list. The, the cons far outweighed the pros for us, all right? I hadn't finished seminary at that point, okay? I'd never been a lead pastor at that point. I was a decent worship leader. I was decent, all right? I had led youth ministries pretty well, pretty successful for about a decade, but that was about it. In fact, before we planted Fathom Church, I had preached a total of six sermons. Preached six times. That's not wise move right there, right? It made no sense for the 28-year-old guy who had preached a whopping six sermons to quit my job with my now pregnant wife and our mortgage to try and become a preacher full-time. Like that's, it, it didn't make sense. I remember meeting with one guy who wasn't like a bastion of encouragement. And he said to me, we were eating lunch. He said, oh, Chris, just get another job as a lead pastor at an established church already. Don't you know that nine out of 10 church plants fail? If you do this, it's going to wreck your ministry. If you do this, it's going to wreck your marriage. You could even lose your house. Like a Chipotle with the guy. I'm like, oh, hmm, thank you. Thank you for this encouragement. Let me just bask in it right now. Just stop right there. I just want to marinate in how warm my spirit fills. No, bro, you're buying lunch. This is not how it's working, right? (laughs) I mean, I remember we would have conversations, Marcy and I, conversations as we're trying to discern God's will in this. And in one of our more fearful moments, we just confess saying, hey, what if no one comes? Like, what if none of our friends, what if... None of our family, new people. Are you kidding me? Like, what if we fail? What if we look like fools? And, and my temptation at this point was to hedge my bets. Like, my temptation at this point was to wait on moving on God's will until he kind of showed me that there was some security Right, like I wanted to kind of lay out the proverbial fleece and let him kind of throw some junk on there to make sure that this was his will. Like, yeah, God, I'll do this if you provide with enough money. Like, if you provide me enough money. Like, I don't know how to do this, so you just give me the money and I'll do it, okay? Or, or I'll do it once you provide some people. Like, once some people tell me that they're in and they're committed, then I'll do it. Or, God, I'll, I'll do it once you bring me a worship leader because Lord knows I can't handle it if the music stinks. But faith is about stepping out to do what God's called you before all the circumstances have been worked out. Anyone can walk a well-lit path. But faith is stepping out to the unknown. And we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. 
And so if you had asked me at that point, hey, is God calling you to plant a church? I think I would have said, uh, I think so. Which isn't a really confirming way to gather a core team. I think so. This is maybe an option in our spectrum of faithful options. I think so, but it, but it could be wrong. So we decided to plant a church. Listen, we realized we weren't God and we weren't in control of the outcomes. And we went through a process of discerning God's will and we talked with people, wise people who have been further. Some of you are in this room today, people who we talked with and encouraged us, yeah, this might be God's will for you. And then we made the decision, the best decision we knew how to make, even though it looked absurd at times. And in retrospect, it looks like maybe we weren't so foolish. You might disagree with me, but that's okay. Listen, all of this stuff about God's will, this is for somebody here today. This is for somebody here today. Maybe online, maybe in this room, this might be for you today. Maybe you're so locked into your plans that you are functionally acting like God in your own life. James calls that evil. And he says, what is your life? And I think the call for you, if you, if you find yourself just kind of tight-fisting your life right now, the call is to repent. To open up the fist, to turn from the pride and arrogance and boasting that comes with over-planning. Or maybe you're on the other side of that spectrum. Because maybe it's not that you've tight-fisted, maybe you've got a decision that you've got to make. There's something that you've got to make a call on, but you're so afraid. Afraid of making the wrong decision. Afraid of letting other people that you love down with that decision. Afraid of what might happen because it's unknown. And the call for you too is to repent. You cannot jack up what God won't let you jack up. That's not in the Bible, but it could be. You need to turn from that inaction. You need to turn from the pride that you might be holding on to, even in your fear. We need to remember that you're not God. You need to submit to God's will. And maybe, just maybe, you need to make a decision. Those with genuine faith submit to God's will humbly and confidently. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father, um, this is one of those real practical sermons, one of those real practical texts from, from your servant James. And, and Lord, first we thank you. We thank you that he cuts to the quick. We thank you that he doesn't beat around the bush. That he doesn't say, hey, you should never plan. And he doesn't say, hey, you should lock everything down and figure out every little bit and piece to that plan. But rather, he gives us a middle way. A way of humility, a way of confidence. A way of planning without becoming prideful. A way of walking by faith and not being crippled by fear. And so, Father, I just pray for these words of yours 
to land on fertile soil in our hearts. And maybe some of us have to let some stuff go. We've been trying so hard to be our own sovereign that we're choking the life out of our life. And you call that evil. But then there's some of us that we've been so crippled by making the wrong call that we've been inactive, that we've been disobedient. Father, that's just as prideful. May we find the middle way of trust. May we find the middle way of faith. May we be humbly confident in seeking your will and living in light of that. Help us to do this, Father. Holy Spirit, help us deeply to know your will and to follow it. And when we do make mistakes and make missteps, help us to stay on that well, uh, on, on that path, the path that you have for us. So Spirit, speak. You're the true preacher at Fathom Church. You're the one who speaks to our hearts. Speak to us. Show us where we're out of line with your will and call us back. We love you, Father. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.